Welcome to another episode of the Unrelated Brothers Podcast. It's Devon uh, with me as always, Josh. And today we're going to finish that part two with uh, Rodney Travis. And uh, Rodney, you know, we were kind of finishing out the last podcast just talking about how, uh, you know, the military has its perks and obviously its negatives. Um you know, some of the things that they tell you is a little bit of a salesman pitch. And um, obviously, you know, the some of the things that maybe comrades or, or yourself um, have given up in exchange, you know, definitely didn't fit the bill, so to speak. And um, one of those things happens to be uh, the state that you know, it leaves a lot of veterans in with their, their mental health. Um, the, the way we finished up the show, you were talking about how, uh, you've had, had some, some pretty bad nightmares. Um, you've had times where you've kind of daydreamed and, um, been able to see some things on, um, you know, on TVs or, or things like that, that, you know, obviously do not belong there. Um, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to continue on that point, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's even now, you know, years after I got out, it's it's difficult to talk about because it kind of, you know, you have to peel back the 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 layers of of tough skin that you've built up for yourself all those years. You know, cuz you have to act like it doesn't affect you. And I think do you think um do you think like are you saying that as a man? Or are you saying that as a vet or both? I think it's both because, you know, you're, you're taught to be an alpha male. Right. As as a kid, pretty much across society, especially from my generation. Exactly. Yep. I agree. You know, a popular saying in the military is change your socks, drink water and continue mission. Like there's nothing that could be bad enough unless you, you know, you die that should stop you from just being able to change your socks, drink some water and stay on mission. So they don't care at the time, you know, when, when you have a task to complete your mental state, your physical state, how things are at home, whether your bills are paid, whether your wife's happy, whether you're missing your kid's first steps or their dance recital, none of that matters until you complete the mission at hand. And you've been ingrained in that from the time that you set foot in basic training. And even, you know, veterans of the Vietnam War will tell you that's still their mindset. So just, you know, so I I support... Uh, our military more times than not, uh, although I have mixed feelings about some things, I, I guess I would say mm-hmm. as far as um, I'm always I'm always going to try to support us for us and support the people who go out there to defend us. I do, however, sometimes feel like um, America feels a bit like the bully on the playground and we just kind of go wherever and do whatever. I mean, sometimes I, I, I make the joke that we look somewhere and we're like, Oh man, you know, you guys look like you need some freedom. 
And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a mindset I've had for a couple of years now. Like I said, I, I definitely support the military, but, uh, don't always support the things we do. Um, do you feel like after being in it, do you, do you like have, I guess, what are your feelings on, on that kind of sentiment? I mean, any animosity, any anger or you, you know, so like the dark humor that veterans have is something that's completely on another level. Like you'll only know another person's a veteran if you joke about the same kind of dark stuff. And a lot of it has to do with politics because when, when you're in, it doesn't take very long for you to not care about the political ramifications of what you're asked to do about where you're going next about who you have to engage and who you don't. None of that really matters. All that matters is you take care of the guy to your left and the guy to your right. Like you get tunnel vision away from, I don't care what they ask me to do because I can't do anything about it anyway. I'm just going to make sure that my friends are taken care of. And I think that itself really lends to the trauma that you feel after you get out because everybody goes their separate ways everybody has their own personal demons to deal with how to adapt back into being a civilian and you don't have that camaraderie you don't have that brotherhood that tight-knit group of guys that are always watching your back for you yeah it's funny you brought that up i watched the video the other day and it was uh I don't know if they was World War II or if they were Vietnam buddies, but they hadn't seen each other literally since one of the the war, whatever war war it was, they hadn't seen each other since. And one of the guys surprised them. And, you know, it was like long lost brothers. And you can definitely tell going through the military, going to war like that, it's a bond that nobody else can go through. And like, you know, I don't expect people who have not served to understand it, but I try to break it down as best I can for them. Um, imagine being a member of a sports team and losing one of your players like while they're on the field. Yeah. Like that's going to affect you and you're going to remember that and you're going to remember that player's family. Yeah, I mean, you know, probably for the rest of your life. And now multiply that by your losing members of your team by the dozens over a year long stint. Well, I think that's that's why one of my next questions was going to actually be, do you feel like do you feel like you get um well, so this is a two. I don't know if, <laughs> I feel like every question I ask you is like a two part question. So, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So, uh, so you know, speaking of that, I feel like one, do you feel like when people say thank you for your service or pay for your meal or you know, even just opening a door for you, uh, you know, other uh, military, former military, current military, whatever, uh, salute you maybe even, things of that nature. Do you feel, is it satisfying? Does it make you feel good? Like what's, I guess, what is your emotional reaction to that? And 
Secondly, do you think there should be like more or less of that or something? Like I had, I had seen where uh, somebody in the military once had said that they, they actually prefer not to have people thank them for their service because they had brothers or sisters that didn't make it back. And so they don't feel like they should be thanked because you, know, you answered my question or you answered, you know, your own question. Okay. With that. Okay. Um, the, it's hard for us when you thank us for our service, we're truly appreciative right. that you took the time to say, thank you for your service. But Would we you? immediately get rushed back with the emotions of every single person Got you. that didn't come back with us. Got you. So, so in that regard, like, is there something that would like, do you feel like there'd be something better said that would be like, like a less of a trigger for you guys? Or like, is that because there are certain things that like, like, I guess in, in some regards, like, would it be better if instead of saying thank you for your service, like we spent more time, obviously outside of a couple days a year to like celebrate uh, the, the, the life of, of those that maybe had made the ultimate sacrifice So, like, would that be potentially a better or like what, what <clears throat> ideas do you have? One of the things that hurt me personally and several of us, you know, the most is when we come back after a deployment, all we're trying to do is get back to our families and get back to our lives here. Right. Correct. We'll land in an airport full uniform, you know, walking through an airport and we just get stared at. Like there's nobody there to welcome us home. We haven't got to come meet our families yet because it's not at the movies. They're not waiting for you at the airport. Right. There's like nobody. Nobody cares what you just went and did. You know, they just, they look at us like we're a pariah, like we went over there and killed babies and like, you know, hung out with terrorists. So, and that's like that, that emotional shock reminds you that you're back in the U.S. Like that's the first thing that you see when you step back on, onto American soil. Do you feel like the, like a, like instead of, instead of being told like like you know obviously some people say it on daily and stuff but instead of that do you think that then in that case it would be better like as a custom as an american custom for us to actually spend more time putting effort around you guys returning so that people were there to to appreciate you guys making you know doing that for, for us so here's my my political speech for for you know going for office if i was in charge of how we take care of our vets. There would be no amount of defense budget that I would not spend to make sure every veteran comes home and has a home to come home to. There wouldn't be a single homeless veteran anywhere. There would not be a line that's 170 days long at the VA for you to get seen for medical care from our government. There wouldn't be a Memorial Day and a Veterans Day every single day think a veteran i think sometimes americans take military for granted like they don't appreciate what they've really gone and done 
I mean, I personally did not support going into Iraq at all. Did I go when they asked me to? Yes. Am I a better person because I got to learn that culture and interact with the people that were truly thankful that we were there to protect them? Yeah. I mean, I have so many Muslim friends that I would have never had had I not gone over there and, un and learned their culture and understood their culture and their conflicts and what they actually have going on. And that Iraq's not our enemy. A certain group of Iraqis was our enemy. And their oppression towards everyone else that didn't think the way that they did is really eye-opening for our politics here. We haven't got to that point where one section has all of the military might, all of the weapons, and is oppressing everybody else that doesn't think like them. Are you talking stark, about? It's a stark reminder that that could happen here. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the, uh, you know, it's, it's certain people that kind of shown because whenever U.S. pulled out of Iraq last year, like Iraqi people didn't want to be there. It, and it wasn't them. It was the, you know, the group of bad people there, the terrorists. You're talking about pulling out of Afghanistan early? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Afghanistan. My bad. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We basically left like a thief in the night, left all of our stuff. <laughs> he said left like a thief in the night. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. In, in no time in military history have we ever had an exit strategy where we disappear overnight and leave all of our gear behind because it's too expensive to bring home. Yeah. Well, so I'm going <laughs> to... Well, no, no, no. And, I mean, it's we could laugh about it, but I'm going to I'm gonna cut us there because I don't want to get... I feel yeah, I don't like want to get... Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to get, get political. political about it. <laughs> well, I was about to say that's that's where the conversation is about to go. So we're not going to do that. But what I will say is we can steer off. Uh, so one, either I'll let you choose one, either we can tackle um, maybe more of uh, the mental aspect of it and the self-care, just thinking about ways that uh, you maybe have improved yourself and maybe uh, thoughts you'd have for maybe young vets getting out, something like that. I wouldn't mind uh, having a conversation about, or okay. the second thing would be uh, potentially, I know you had talked uh, kind of behind the scenes with us about um, how, you know, all of this got you into the profession you're in now. So we could also tackle that one. One of those two, I, you know, I think that that would be good. Okay. I think we can start with the mental health. And then if we have time, we can move yeah, on from there. Absolutely. So my biggest piece of advice to any veteran, especially the ones that are fixing to get out or the ones that have been out and are noticing that things just aren't right. Seek out therapy. Don't take no for an answer. Swallow your pride and go get help. Whether you think you need it or not, you need it. You will be angry for no reason. It's because you haven't learned how to turn your switch off yet. Anything that triggers you is going to immediately come with the fight response instead of flight, because that's how you've been trained. It's going to hurt your relationships. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your relationships with your kids, and they're going to see it before you do. Above all else, seek out therapy. It's just a couple of sessions. You don't have to, you know, cry on your couch to your therapist. 
but they will find the root of your issues and they will, you know, they maybe they, they won't even put you on medication. Maybe they can find like breathing exercises or hobbies or things to divert your attention away from the things that are causing you triggers. And they can give you coping mechanisms that'll help you in your daily life. And I see that there is actually a veterans crisis line. There is. Which is 1-800-273-8255. And then you press one for anybody out there listening. There are thousands of organizations dedicated to helping veterans. You just have to be strong enough to ask for help. Right. So, so while you're saying that, I mean, we're, so the, there will be a show for any of our listeners who have, you know, uh, our religious listeners who are here every week or every couple of days, you know, what have you, that are keeping up with us. And they're going to, you know, have listened to our self-care episode, you know, tying into that. Um, something that we didn't talk about, I don't believe that is super important and ties exactly into what you're saying is um, one of my biggest weaknesses as an adult is that I do not do a good job. Even now, 27 years old, I still struggle to ask for help. You need to ask for help. It's not, it's not character assassination or suicide. Sorry. It's not character suicide. It doesn't make you any less of a man or a woman. Doesn't make you weak. Um, sometimes asking for help is going to benefit you not only in saving materials or saving extra trips or uh, saving burning down your damn house. Who knows? I mean, it could save you from so many things. There's so it's so easy to make a mistake when you're uncertain. And it takes so little to ask for help. And I've even found there's times where instead of even asking for help, if you seek it out through YouTube or other things, even some of that stuff can help you. Like if you have doubt on something, you should not be afraid to at least try to be more informed. And if that doesn't work, ask for help. It, like I said, it, it just, I think there's a misconception and there's a stigma that it's a, you know, you're showing weakness, but if you were leading a group of people or something and you made a bad decision and you let everybody to their death or something of, of that sort, guess what? It's not just a, it's not just a, Oh, people are going to look down on me. Guess what? You, nobody's going to look at you at all. Cause you're not going to be around, you know? So I think, yeah. you know, people, obviously every situation is not that serious, but I think people need to wake up a little bit and realize that it, it's it's not about the um, the importance or how large the decision is. It's about getting in the practice of being comfortable with asking for help. Yes, absolutely. Don't be afraid to call those hotlines either. Like you're not going to get somebody from bad customer service rep for a bad TV or something. You're getting somebody who's good, got put in their job in their position to help you, to listen to and you. And get nine you those times struggles. out of 10, nine times out of 10, you will get someone who has been where you are. You will get a therapist who has served. Right. Yeah, because I, I just don't see them putting somebody in that type of job 
who can't help you. Well, and the other thing too, is I think specifically, you know, when there are social workers, when there are therapists, when there are counselors, student counselors, you know, I mean, going back to the other video we made, obviously talking about student counselors, any of those, like, for the most part, a lot of those are not like great paying jobs. The people who are there are doing it because they genuinely want to make a difference and genuinely want to help people and better their life. So you should never feel like, oh, I'm just going to go there and sit and they're not going to really listen or not going to really care. They're not going to really try to help me. No, they, they don't get paid enough to not care. Okay. Every single one of those people, probably their biggest fault is probably caring too much. They're, they're, they're usually the type of person who sees a stray cat out on the road and picks them up and takes them home just because they can't leave them out there because they feel bad. So you, you, you have no excuse other than yourself. If you're not going to, you know, if you're not willing to seek the help, then the only real excuse is yourself because those people, they genuinely care. They genuinely want to make a difference and they're always available. You know, people also try to use that. Oh, we don't have enough time or something. No, they do. There's literally half of those lines that Josh is talking about in either a previous video or the current video. Now, half those lines are 24 hours a day. Yes, they are. It is not. They are always available always available and i highly stress people so real quick this doesn't have to do with military but this does have to do with mental health so my my barber i used to get my hair cut at they so she had baby and she got pregnant with uh their second kid and shortly after she had their second kid about three or four weeks later her husband shot himself in their bathroom mm. didn't say anything didn't communicate how he was feeling what what he was feeling what problems and so i'm literally getting my haircut talking to you know her i'm not gonna say her name but talking to her and you know i'm talking about oh how's the new baby all that and she's just kind of sad and you know and i'm like oh well you know how how are things how's everything you know, is you getting you and your husband getting a lot of sleep? And she goes, well, my husband passed away. And I said, oh, my God, you know, are you are you OK? What happened? She, and she literally just like just blatant as could be said, well, I went to work and I was texting him and he wasn't responding. And I got a call from his job saying he never made it to work. Is he OK? And he had been at the job for like 10 years. So, you know, they're concerned about him. So I go home and he had shot him late, late in the tub and shot himself in the head. So she said she basically threw up, left the house and, uh, you know, essentially never, you know, didn't go back for an extended period of time. Other people had to help her to move some items out that, you know, were needed. And she went and lived with her dad. And I literally told, you know, felt, terrible felt mortified told her sorry wish I could have been more help at the time you know I didn't know what to really even say to her and I was so uncomfortable with it that I never went back there to get my haircut now does that make me a bad person not necessarily but that's where like you know her husband probably needed to see somebody and maybe she needed to see somebody you know I think the, the previous video we talked about, uh, the difference of talking to a professional versus talking to a friend. That scenario is 
a time where I would say you need to talk to a professional. And I think that that just goes to show again, it could be something very small, like having a kid where it could make you feel overwhelmed or like we're talking about now with Rodney, you know, things that may have happened that you are having a hard time coping with returning to society, having a hard time coping with, um, so I'm, I, you know, I appreciate, by the way, too, Rodney, uh, just you even coming on and having this conversation. I, I, you know, hope it's not difficult or anything for you. No, and I, that kind of segues into like I will give advice to people that have friends that have served, especially friends that have served in combat. Right. Don't ask them basically to brag about what they did. Because you're going to get one of two situations. You're going to get a regret story or they're not going to talk to you at all about it. Because if a guy or, or a girl that served wants to tell you what they did over there, they're lying. Yeah, I know the many disc golf trips that we've had together and rode in the same vehicle, I, I'd stray away from that because I just I can tell it makes you uncomfortable or not maybe not uncomfortable just something you don't want to go to that place so i don't know if you notice anytime we talk about it, I, I never really ask a question about it because i don't want you to have to go in depth with it right because with every mission even if it was completely successful there's regret right your second guess is because if it was unsuccessful you lost friends if it was successful you took someone's life and both of those carry a different weight for everyone and no one's really prepared for that no matter how much training you have after that happens and after the adrenaline's wore off you have to remember that and deal with it in your own way for the rest of your life they don't want to be reminded of that situation so um while we're talking about that as well i think that i think people don't really understand how fragile life actually is um, for those in my opinion that have had children and or had somebody pass either in their arms or around them I mean I think have a better understanding of actually how fragile life is um, yes, I would agree it in I don't I don't know if I've ever asked you this are you are you a father Rodney I am. Okay. Yeah. So, so for, for all of us here, obviously we're all fathers and I actually just had this conversation the other day. Uh, so I was, I was really sick, uh, you know, a week or so ago and, um, I had went to work, um, and had to actually go to the hospital, leave work and go to the hospital. Cause I, I was just in such a bad, um, place health wise. And, you know, my boss was, joking with me and told me well you know why would you come in why would you come in and stuff and i'm telling him you know that uh i gotta pay bills and stuff i gotta you know missing too many days of work you know just really hurts hurts the big picture you know what i mean uh right. affects affects any long-term goals you may have made all that type of stuff so anyway he tells me he's like oh yeah well you know you remind me of my mom my mom used to do the same thing she'd work herself to death and uh and he, he said you know people don't understand how fragile life is and, you know, I told him, I said, I said, I actually, uh, I said, I do work myself hard, but I said, uh, you know, I, I think I understand actually how fragile life is because I said, I've had, 
three kids. And I could tell you from the first moment of the first time that I helped my son, it is shocking how small and, and incapable and weak and fragile and, and all these things that they are, you know, their head, their arms, their, just their body in general, the way it moves. I, I mean, being a, a first time father or, you know, or a first time mother, like the way their bodies may move or react when, you know, when they, they roll for the first time or when, uh, God, when, when they start to crawl and walk and they fall and bump their heads and stuff, and you're terrified because you don't want them, you know, you just don't want anything bad to happen of them. So you have this hyper sense of like every little thing that's happening to them. And it's like, man, I've literally lived my whole life, never, ever thinking about anything going so bad that I could, I could die in a suddenness for the most part. I mean, you know, outside of a couple of events, but then when you have a kid, I feel like that's something you're constantly worried about is their, their health, like just all the time. And I think that that is eye-opening. And I think the second thing I told my boss, I said, this one was a bigger deal is I said, actually that I had, when I was about 15 years old, I had a six-year-old girl. Uh, she was hit by a van in, in the parking lot where I lived and, and she did not make it. And I told him that that also, because of my age and because it happened so directly close to me that it, it impacted my, you know, my view of things heavily and changed kind of the way that I, you know, just, it just altered the way I looked or at, at those kind of things. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think that, uh, in a lot of cases, people don't understand the fragility. And I think that people over glorify too. you know, oh, that's, oh, I'm, I'm godly or something. If I, if I can take, take a life, whether it be an animal or, you know, or a, or a person, you know, and it's like, no, no, that's not, it's not at all. It's a, it's a very sad and stressful. And, you know, I think, I, I guess, I don't know. I shouldn't really explain it. I think everybody probably has their own reaction, but I think it a lot of times because of call of duty and other things, everybody gets gung ho and too excited about, about that. And it's, it's just not, uh, it's just not the case. Um, obviously you, you agree, but um, it, it's, that's my two cents on it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. Like everybody's had their own, personal experiences with uh, how how fragile life is whether you know they've lost someone or they've seen someone or right. you know in, in rare cases when you know you've had to take someone else's life <clears throat> so in all those cases i think reaching out getting therapy is not a bad idea you know if it affects you and you don't feel the same as you did before that happened, go find out why. Right. Go find out if there's any way that you can, you know, get back to you. See if there's a hobby that you can get in with other people because right. you learn stories from other people and you find out that you're really not that different. It's a small world after all. And they may not have had the same experiences as you, but they've had something close and y'all can actually talk about it. Right. 
Well, I'm glad you said that too, because I feel like um, my mom told me one time, she goes that you should not uh, relate stories of yourself to other people's stories when you're communicating. And I disagreed with her because I said to me, she said that she feels like that's saying you're not really listening. You're focusing on yourself and comparing it to them. But to me, what I explained to her was, in fact, that's the opposite. I feel like when I'm listening and listening intently, when you say something and it triggers a memory in my head that's relatable, that it makes it easier to have a conversation with you because now we're on the same wave wavelength. You know what I mean? Right. Now, now I can talk to you on a similar or the same level and we can talk in, in, at the, at, in the best place we need to be. And so I completely agree with what you said that it's a small world after all. And I think that people would be heavily shocked at the fact that it's several different States, several different towns, um, you know, what have you, that it's not all that different. I mean, we made the comment in part one of this podcast, just talking about how in probably half the, you know, half the, I don't know, 20 to 80,000 size towns across America, which there's tons of them that sports are everything they're idolized and everything goes around them. And, you know, if there's a certain name on the back of your Jersey, you might get more playing time or treated better just off of that. Um, There's, there's tons of other things. There's different stigmas that might go uh, across and same thing. It's, you know, you're going to find them in every, every city that's that size, because I think as a community and as a, as a culture in America, that a lot of the things that you find are actually the exact same. Yeah, maybe you got an accent here. You got a little twang down there. But, I mean, hell, Josh and, and you live, you know, six, six and a half, seven hours away from me. And I feel like the more I've talked and the more I've gotten to know you and Josh I've known for years now, I mean, Josh Josh to me is, is like a guy that I could know that was living down the street. I mean, we live that much of a similar life that he might as well live five minutes down the road from me. Yeah. Right. And I think that a lot of people, I don't, I don't know if I'd say are afraid. I just feel like people too often let themselves live in a bubble of comfortability and let, even if it's not a, even if it's not healthy, they live in that comfortability rather than stepping out into what's uncomfortable and benefiting themselves. And I think Josh uh, has proven that, you know, I always go back to Josh, um, when him and him and his wife had split at the time. And I've talked to Josh numerous times about this, that he, he didn't want to do it because it was uncomfortable, but the more time he thought about it and the more time that passed, he's the happiest he's been in years. And that's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate, but I, I mean, as a friend, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'd rather him be happy. And I think people need, should, should seek, you know, should seek that you shouldn't in any circumstance, if you're, if you're unhappy with your job, you know, I think that you should be brave, really. I mean, that's my recommendation. Be brave, do what you think, do what's in your heart of hearts, because nine times out of 10, I would say your instincts are right. You know what I mean? Yep. 
Like I would caveat off that and say that I have I have a motto, and I don't mean it. I don't mean it by physical violence, but I say that it takes a lot of violence to become a peaceful person as an adult. Yeah. And that's you know turmoil, strife, going through things that are hurtful and harmful, and that take a lot of growth to get through. Because I don't think that you want things to be turbulent the older that you get. You like the mundane. You like your time alone. You like your family time, your time with your kids, you know, taking in a baseball game or whatever with them. But I feel like we're all chasing that identity whenever we're younger and things are uncertain and turbulent, for not a better word. And I call that, you know, the violence of growing up where you got to make all of your mistakes to become the, you know, the peaceful, in our case, you know, dad who's yeah. just, who's just dad at that point, not, you know, even though we're still trying to figure things out, we have a better head on our shoulders is because of the experiences that we've gone through. Yeah. Well, and just uh, to go on what you said too, is, I really like, uh, I, I don't know where the line comes from. I mean, I, some of those lines, it seems like somebody's claiming it and, and the quote's probably been around longer than they have. So we'll, we'll go off that. But um, I really liked a quote. Um, it might've even been out of an anime. I mean, honestly, I watch, watch anime. Actually, I was, I was wanting to get into that a little bit with you, but we're, we're not going to be able to get into that today. We're going to have to save that for another episode, but um, so it says that hard times create strong men and strong men create soft times, soft times create strong or create soft men. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cycle just yeah. like, just like all things seem to be. And uh, I don't know. I just, it, every time that I think about it, it's so true. You know, we live in a time where I feel like everybody's constantly talking about how um, soft or weak or sensitive the men are and stuff. And I would, I would say, yeah, in some regards that's true, but uh, I would also in a lot of ways say that that's because this isn't the 1930s. We're not preparing to go to a world war, you know, things like that. We're not, this isn't Vietnam, you know, that all those, all those have already passed and we're in a, in a peaceful time, you know, so. Yeah, I would agree with that. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so <laughs> don't, don't mean to cut you short here, but uh, we are running low on time here. So uh, we are going to go ahead and cut the show there. Uh, as always, you can find us on Spotify and you can find us on Apple. Uh, appreciate you guys listening for this part two, and hopefully uh, you will tune in again for another wonderful show. Thank you. Thank you.